Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. I want to start... uh today's meditation with a story. I might have said it once or twice before with a couple of groups, but this is actually the day where it needs to be said. Almost a hundred years ago, in the 1930s of, in the 1930s, in France, in a little town, a town in France, there was a group of boys playing around in the streets. It was probably summertime. And they were kind of bored and trying to figure out a way to entertain themselves. And then, since they had nothing to do, they came up with this silly idea. They decided that they wanted to dare one of their group to go inside a church that was right up the street. And they were young boys. So they decided they would go, and the priest there was at that point taking confessions. And they said, one of us can go to that priest and make up a list, a long, long list of the most horrible, made-up kind of sins we can think about, just to see if we can, you know, take off that priest. One of the boys in that group wasn't even a Christian. His name was Aaron. And he said, you know what? I'll go ahead and do it. What's confession anyway? So he marched into the church and went, you know how in France or like, you know, in any Catholic church, the confessional is a big box, like a big, a place where the priest can sit inside, right? So it's called the confessional. So he goes up to the confessional and does the dare. He tells the priest all these crazy kind of sins and he makes up a hundred things. But the priest was an older, wise, holy man. And he immediately understood what this boy was up to. So he told the boy, I will give you, you know, he pretended as if everything was normal. And he said to him, here's your penance. Here's what you need to do for doing all those sins as part of your spiritual rule. I need you to walk up the church and look at the cross and look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you died on the cross for me and I don't care. And I need you to say it three times. And if you don't say it three times, then it doesn't count. Now, actually, he didn't, he didn't tell him to say, I don't care. He said something about We're inside the church, and I can't say what he actually said. So this is the PG version, all right? So the boy said, this is much easier than I thought. So he goes up. He walks down the aisle. The confessional is usually at the back of the church, if I understand correctly. He walks down the aisle, and he looks at the cross and shouts out loud, Jesus, you died on the cross for me, and I don't care. 
And then he walks back to the priest. Okay, I did it. And then the priest said, you have to do it two more times. So the boy walks up again and says it. And he looks straight at Jesus' face on the cross and says, Jesus, you died on the cross for me, and I don't care. And then the priest behind him says, one more time. And the boy says, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. And he couldn't finish the sentence. Anyway, about a year later, this boy is baptized. And he grows up in the church. Later on, he enters the seminary and decides to become a priest. And in 1983, he becomes known as Cardinal Lustiger, the Archbishop of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. And he passed away in 2007. It's a very interesting story. And yet sometimes we think of, we could think and say, yeah, he died for me, so what? The truth is, yes, he died for me, he died for us, but we also have to realize that we were created for him, to worship him, to live with him, to live for him, to live in him. That's what we're called to be, right? God, when he created Adam, the idea was that Adam would enjoy the presence of God, offer him glory and praise, and live together, that fellowship. But always God's goodness is always followed by our rebellion, by our disobedience. And that's the story from Adam until today. God is good to us, and then we rebel. We don't care. And actually, sin, by definition, is us refusing to conform ourselves to God's will, refusing to give him glory, refusing to acknowledge him as king. We make our own desires, our own will, our own plans, our own ideas for our life as the main thing. Ultimately, we put ourselves as God. We glorify ourselves, not him. We don't really want to live in his presence. So th sin is, like St. Paul said, to fall short of the glory of God. God destined us for greatness by living with him. But by refusing to live with him, we reject his presence and therefore we fall away. And God cannot live in a place where there is sin because God is goodness itself. So wherever there is sin, God withdraws. He withdraws his presence. He withdraws his glory. And then we are desolate and we die because God is the source of our life. So the idea of God forgiving us is not merely God forgetting that we sinned or that forgetting that we made a mistake. It's God having to remove what is blocking us so that we can be restored in a relationship with him, so that we can finally be in his presence and see his glory again. And if we are far away from him, we are dead. 
but we have now gotten to the state where we can only sin. But we also have to understand then that salvation, forgiveness, repentance, we sometimes think about them in very legalistic terms. The essence of being forgiven, the essence of being forgiven is us enjoying God's presence again, right? The essence of salvation is us finally having access to God so that ultimately we can have fellowship, union, and communion with Him so that the glory of God can abide in His temple. His temple is not this building. His temple is each and every one of us. So when you read in the Old Testament and you see the idea of the glory of God filling the tent in the wilderness in Exodus or filling Luke Solomon's temple when we read in the book of Kings, that ultimately is what God wants, to dwell with his people, to dwell in his people. But we see throughout the story of the Old Testament that the people aren't really that interested because repentance isn't just merely feeling remorse for a mistake that I have done. You know how many of us, we, we think about going to confession and we wonder, like, what have I done that's really that bad? I don't really feel that bad about myself. But confession is meant to signify a true repentance. And what is a true repentance? It's reorienting our whole life reorienting our whole life so that we can live for God. And that's the meaning of salvation. So when, when God told Moses to, to, to speak to Pharaoh about setting his people free, it wasn't just let my people go so that they can be free. That's the essence of t today's age that we live in. We want to be free. But God told Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. So our freedom, our salvation, is freedom from oppression in order to live for God. But we are incapable of that real, genuine repentance. We see it throughout the Old Testament. We see it throughout our whole lives. All the stories of the Old Testament lead to one conclusion, that all the rules have done is not make us better people. They just made us aware that we are horrible people. And the only solution is divine intervention. God has to intervene. And in the Old Testament, whenever they talk about miraculous and marvelous interventions of God in history, they call it the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, when he shall come and defeat his enemies. The day of the Lord, when God shall come and become king. The day of the Lord, when God shall come and recreate human hearts. You know, how, as we say in Psalm 50, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So the Old Testament prophets started to speak about this day when God will intervene. How will God intervene? God says in Jeremiah, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. And they shall return to me with their whole hearts. And then he says somewhere else in Jeremiah, 
I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And no longer shall they teach one another and say, know the Lord, for they shall know me. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. It's interesting. We usually think about forgiveness as something that is given when we repent. But in this instant where God is speaking through Jeremiah, he's saying, because I forgave their sins, they will come back to me and I will create a new heart in them, give them a new heart, and I will make a new covenant. It's not just rules that when you break them, I will take away my blessing from you. This new covenant, this new testament, is that I will initiate and forgive, and then you will repent, and you will respond. Because when you look at how I will forgive you, your only proper response has to be that you repent. So that is the day of the Lord that God spoke about in the Old Testament. And it comes by the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament and the inauguration of his new kingdom. And as we just said earlier, that kingdom, that day of the Lord is made the clearest in these days that we live in now, where Christ in Great Friday sits upon his throne as king, which is the cross, and announces, proclaims the new kingdom. How? by forgiving our sins without us asking. You notice throughout the readings of the New Testament, when Jesus heals the sick, like for example, we all know the story of the paralytic man being let down from the roof. As soon as Jesus sees him, he says to him, your sins are forgiven. The man didn't ask to be forgiven. <clears throat> the man didn't ask to be forgiven. Jesus just does it, does it out, of his, out of his own initiative. So the cross reverses the causality, reverses what comes first and what comes second. We sometimes think that we need to go to God and really repent so that God can forgive us and be good to us and give us good things. It's actually the opposite. God has already forgiven on the cross, and he already loves us. But we are the ones who then have to go towards that unilateral forgiveness that he has given us and give him the appropriate response. And I think last year I said this, the appropriate response is two things that sort of combine together, giving God glory and offering him a true repentance. But a true repentance is very difficult. Like we just said, reorienting our whole life to God. That's a real repentance. How many of us think that we have completely reoriented our life and our heart to only look to God? I know certainly I haven't. We're all broken. But God has given us this idea of forgiveness, but also by this idea of creating a new heart in us, he gives us the gift of repentance. You know, you read in the book of Acts that God exalted Jesus at his right hand 
that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Repentance is something that God can give because it's God who is reconciling us to himself. It's not that he is not reconciled. We're the ones who are turning our backs to him. And he, we read in Corinthians, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. God says, come, I'm ready, but are you? And so, how is it that God gives us this repentance? How does he create a new heart in us? Truth is, for every single one of us who is baptized and received the gift of the Spirit when they were chrismated, what do we say? What happens when we are baptized? We always say that. It's the most easy Sunday school answer. We receive the Holy Spirit. So if we all as Christians have received, <clears throat> I'm sorry I sound like this, by the way. I'm not really being super repentant. It's my, it's my voice that's super hoarse. So this is not extra piety, all right? The reality is that when God sent his spirit into each and every one of our hearts, he gave us that repentance. He gave us that ability to repent. We read in Corinthians that God now writes the law not with ink, but with, the, with, with his spirit. You know, you remember the image of Moses on the mountain when God wrote the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone? Now there is a new thing where God sends his spirit and writes it writes his law not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. This is the new covenant, the new testament, the new kingdom, that we now have the spirit and that law is written in our hearts. And wherever the spirit dwells is the dwelling place of God. And then God can change our hearts so that we can truly repent. So what are we supposed to do? Very simply, we're supposed to want that. We're supposed to just say to God, I really want to repent, but I can't. We can say in the words of Jeremiah, he says, you turn me and I shall turn to you for you are the Lord, my God. Glory be to the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.